This morning brings us to the end of our time with the prophet Habakkuk, um, and perhaps some of you think that is good news. Um, it hasn't always been an easy journey, has it? But I hope it has been encouraging too because it addresses some very important issues like how we don't always know what God is doing. We can't always understand how he answers our prayers. It's quite normal for these things to cause us distress and even doubt. Remember what has happened, it's about 600 years before Jesus. We've seen Habakkuk complain to God about the situation amongst God's people. There is violence, there's oppression, there's injustice. Habakkuk calls out for God to intervene to bring a religious revival like the one that happened before under King Josiah. But God says no. God had already warned the people through several prophets and they hadn't turned back to him, so God says no. They've had their chance. This time I'm going to punish. And so the Babylonians are going to come and Habakkuk doesn't like it. He wonders how the holy God could use such an evil people to do this to them against his own chosen people, among whom were many faithful worshipers of God. God responds, as we saw last week. He says, Habakkuk, no, I am the just God. I will not leave evil unresolved. Remember all those woes we went through. God will always do right. It won't be on our time scale. Though it linger, God says, wait for it. It will surely come and will not delay. And the conversation ends. The last words we read last week were these, the Lord is in his holy temple, let all the earth be silent before him. God ends the conversation with Habakkuk. I've told you everything, now be quiet. The Babylonians are coming, I am the God of justice. Now just how much time passes then before Habakkuk chapter three that we're coming to this morning, we, we don't know, probably not too long. Habakkuk goes away, he takes time to think on what God has told him, he takes time to reflect on it, and he responds in prayer. The prayer he writes, he actually writes it as a song, as a as sort of a psalm in the style of a psalm. And this is how the book ends, and this is our reading today. And I would encourage you, if you have a, a Bible with you, either a hard copy or on your phone or whatever, can I encourage you to have it open? Um, some of the language in this is a bit difficult, it's poetic, um, and we're gonna walk through a lot of that and what it means a bit later. So it would be helpful if you had it. Um, but I have as much on the screen as I can have. Um, so this is God's word in Habakkuk chapter three and beginning at verse one. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigunot. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran, his glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and the earth shook. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. But he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Cushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your chariots to victory? You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens, 
at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the sheepfold and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Lord God is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights for the director of music on my stringed instruments. Let's pray together. O oh Lord, as we come now to reflect on your word that we've just read, we acknowledge that we really need your help. Lord, we have read language that we don't immediately relate to, rays flashing from your hand, sun and moon standing still, your horses trampling the sea. Yet we know that this is your word, and we trust that you always speak to us through your word, which you tell us is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. So we pray now, Lord, that by your Spirit, you would give us ears and minds that understand what Habakkuk wrote so long ago, and eyes of faith that see what you're saying to us here, today, right now, in Jesus' name. Amen. The dust has settled. It's been quite a storm already for our friend Habakkuk. He was in some distress. He was a faithful, devout man, wasn't he? A prophet, but the people didn't listen to prophets anymore. Society was going down the tubes as he saw it. No interest in God. What a great heritage they'd had. Within living memory, a great revival. But people just don't seem bothered anymore. Habakkuk, his whole identity as a prophet, as an Israelite, it was under attack. He was so distressed. He didn't know where God was in all of this, so he speaks to God, and what a whirlwind that was that we've seen over the last three Sundays. Although perhaps for Habakkuk, it probably only took a few minutes. It was like being caught in a sandstorm, not really being able to see, in emotional turmoil, not understanding what God is saying or why he's saying it, crying out in protest, but no avail. The storm has its way and it leaves Habakkuk traumatized. The storm ends as God commands silence and Habakkuk has no place to complain any further. The dust settles. What God has said starts to sink in. Habakkuk has to go back to the people, at least the faithful ones who are still in the temple, and he has to tell them what he's heard. But they're gonna be upset too. What's he gonna do? Well, he knows that they need to be comforted. He needs to give them some way of understanding what has just unfolded. So he writes this psalm. It's a prayer, one that is meant to be sung. That's what that funny word at the start, shig you not means, and at the end, for the director of music. 
one that's meant to be sung. It's sung by faithful Jews in Jerusalem before exile happens. It will be sung by God's faithful people when they're in exile and when they're being oppressed. And it may well be sung after the restoration from exile as well. It could very well be sung by you or me today as we face all kinds of difficulty in our lives and we don't know what God is doing. But if we were going to be able to sing it, we'd at least want to know what the lines in it mean, don't we? We're going to have to do a bit of groundwork on that. And before we ask this morning, well, what is this saying to us? I think we have to ask just, what does it actually say? The next five minutes or so are maybe going to require a bit of concentration. I'm not going to lie to you, but it's not as bad maybe as it seems as we first read it. But it'll still take a wee bit of effort just on our part um, as we're going to exercise our brain cells a bit to get our heads around it. So I hope you're up for that. I hope you're prepared for that. The song is essentially made up of three verses and a chorus and then a, a separate ending. It starts out with the chorus. Thankfully, this is probably the easiest bit to understand. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk says, Lord, I've heard of all those wonderful things you did in the past for our ancestors. Please do them again for us. As you punish us in your wrath, be merciful to us. As God is going to show his wrath, Habakkuk is appealing that he will do what he always does, punishes sin, but always shows mercy. So this is the chorus. It would probably be sung after every verse. Lord, I I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. So then what Habakkuk does in these three verses is he's gonna talk about God's great deeds in the past. He's gonna talk about those deeds that he wants God to repeat in our day. And even though he uses quite poetic language that's a bit foreign to us, that, that's all he's doing. He's just talking about God's faithfulness in the past. So then Habakkuk's first verse, as we have it in our Bibles, it's verses three to eight, but it's Habakkuk's first verse, and it's the longest verse of his song. So let's walk through this together. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. I don't imagine Taman and Mount Paran mean very much to many of us, but the word Taman simply means south, and Mount Paran is in the Sinai Peninsula, which was in the south in relation to Egypt. So Habakkuk is talking about the days that the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. When God brought them out of Egypt at the Exodus, he brought them across the Red Sea and further south to Sinai. So all those two lines are saying is that God came from the south, from Sinai, to rescue his people. Let's go on. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise, rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. As God brought the people out of Egypt, he used a pillar of cloud and fire. It had flashes in it to lead them to where he wanted to go. It filled the heavens and it showed his power. So that's what's being talked about here. Still talking about the Exodus. Going on. Plague went before him. Pestilence or disease followed his steps. Remember the plagues that God sent on Egypt before the people were set free? That's all that's being talked about here. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. But he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Cushion in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. 
So this seems to be talking about a time after the Exodus when the Israelites progressed and went on into the promised land and drove out all the nations before them. Cushan and Midian are mentioned there. They were defeated by the Israelites. And all these descriptions of hills and and mountains kind of crumbling and falling apart, that seems to be talking about the gods of those nations because they worshiped Baals and other gods who had their altars on the top of mountains. But as God gave the Israelites victory, those gods and their altars were torn down, at least mostly so. Then finally in this verse, were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your chariots to victory? It seems like this is a rhetorical question or several rhetorical questions, and it refers to God leading the people through water, the Red Sea with Moses, the Jordan River with Joshua, Habakkuk says, God, did you split these waters because you were angry with them? No, you didn't. You did it for your people. And remember the chorus, Habakkuk is asking God that he will do these wonderful things again in his day. So that's that's the end of verse one. I hope you're with me so far. Habakkuk says, I know your deeds, Lord. Please do them again in my day. And verse one says that God came from the south. He led the people out of Egypt with a pillar of fire and smoke. He gave his people victory over other nations and their gods, and he miraculously led them through waters. It's a bit simpler when you put it that way, but it's a song, it's poetic language. And you'll be glad to hear that the second and third verses are much shorter and probably easier to explain. The second verse then, when Israel went to battle, they always knew that God was fighting for them. One example, a great example, is 2 Kings chapter 6, when Elisha sees an angel army encamped all around him on the hills fighting for Israel. And the Israelites understood that although they fought a physical battle, God was in control of the battle fighting for them. And that's what this verse is all about. You uncovered your bow, you called for many arrows, you split the earth with rivers, the mountains saw you and writhed, torrents of water swept by, the deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people to save your anointed one. Now there are a few direct references in there. So the sun and moon standing still is a reference to Joshua chapter 10 where that's what Joshua pleads will happen as they're about to go into battle. But basically, the second verse is all about the fact that the Lord has always fought for his chosen people. All those images of arrows and spears, that's what they're about. And the third verse is similar. Habakkuk says not only does the Lord fight for the people, but he makes sure that the enemies are completely defeated. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear, you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. Poetic language, but Lord, you always defeat our enemies. Verse one, God came from the south, delivered his people with mighty signs. Verse two, God has always fought for his people. And verse three, God has always defeated his enemies. And don't lose sight of the chorus. Habakkuk isn't just saying all this for the sake of it. Lord, I've heard of your deeds in the past. Please do them again today. 
And then after all this, the song ends with a final section which is very different. I suppose we might call it the song's bridge. And here we leave all that has happened in the past and instead we zoom in on Habakkuk himself and how he is reacting to all that has happened in chapters one and two. He's scared. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Habakkuk has come to a place where he has finally accepted all that God has said is going to happen. He's still not happy about it. He's still scared. He doesn't know why God is doing it. He hasn't got his answer on that, but he has accepted it. His heart is pounding. He's shaking. He feels like he's been impacted right down to his bones. But he also believes what God has said in the woes, that that he is a just God. And so he says he'll wait patiently for the ruin of the invading nation, the Babylonians. And then he finishes with really amazing words of faith. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the sheepfold and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Lord God is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. We'll come back to those words a little bit later, but essentially, even though complete devastation is coming, Habakkuk rejoices in God and trusts in him. So that's the hard work, hopefully. Hopefully we've got what the song says, a chorus, three verses which tell of God's deeds in the past, a prayer that he'll repeat them in the coming days, and then a statement of faith, a statement that accepts what God has said, even though it scares him to his bones. And then this final statement that that he still trusts God despite not understanding, despite his fear, despite the destruction that is coming. But what does that mean in Ravenhill Presbyterian Church on the 9th of May, 2021? How can we, in a sense, join in on this song in in a different time, in a different place? Well, there are a number of things I think we can pick up on. I think the first thing it teaches us is just the power of song in all circumstances. Throughout the Christian life, the Bible commands us to sing to God. It gives us plenty of examples of people doing so. In the Bible, we're to sing praise to God. Psalm 100 is an obvious example. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. We have songs of praise, songs of thanksgiving. We have songs of confession. After David committed adultery with Bathsheba, he he writes Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. We have songs that ask God why and how long. We have songs that are sad, that lament. But songs don't just allow us to express ourselves to God, they also teach us. Paul says in Colossians 3, let the word of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So songs can teach us a lot too. But I suppose this morning with Habakkuk, we're thinking particularly of singing when things are difficult. That's what Habakkuk does here and what faithful Israelites did when they sang Habakkuk's song. But it's not a one-off. 
Jesus and his disciples, remember, in the upper room before he went out to Gethsemane, when they had sung a hymn, Matthew tells us, they went out to the Mount of Olives. In the midst of uncertainty, Jesus had announced that he would be betrayed, Judas had left, and Jesus kept mentioning over and over that he was going to be handed over to sinners and killed, and the disciples must have been confused and scared and worried. Jesus was under a lot of stress. We see that in the garden. And they sang a hymn. Singing is so beneficial. It it connects our minds and our, our souls and with our emotions in ways that speaking just doesn't. And you don't have to be a great singer to experience that. And the advantage of singing too is that when times are hard and we maybe don't know what to say to God, we don't have to think about what to say because we can sing songs. Songs connect on on a deep level with us, and when God commands us to sing, He knows what He's doing. And it's not just theologians who talk about this. Modern science is now beginning to look at this more and more. In 2016, Professor Kay Norton from Arizona State University wrote this book, Singing and Wellbeing, Ancient Wisdom, Modern Proof. And in it, she criticizes the medical profession, I'm not going to do that, but she does, for overlooking music and the power of song in medicine. She reports on how singing impacts positively on the self in a group setting and on the soul, which is interesting language for somebody writing purely from a medical perspective. She reports findings on brain chemistry that show that singing is incredibly good for your brain chemistry and your brain function and your mental health, even to the point where it can be used to assist those who are losing their brain function. It can't cure it, but it can help in the treatment of it. And it's no wonder then that in a time of intense anxiety and worry about the future that God inspires Habakkuk to write a song that his people are to sing, a song that will connect with their souls, a song that they will identify with, a song that they can sing to God when they don't know what to say to him. Because we remember songs, don't we? Not just hymns or or Christian songs. Think of your favorite music artist or song. It might be a song from a long time ago, but I bet when it comes on the radio or on Spotify or wherever you're listening to it, you don't have to go searching for the words. You just start singing along. You just know them. You never tried to memorize them, but they just stick with you. I'm not looking for sympathy or anything, but about a year ago now, um, we were all having a bit of a hard time. I was having a bit of a tough time. My wife, Justine, was heavily pregnant, essentially bedridden. She couldn't walk the length of herself. She was in a lot of pain. For that reason, we moved in with her parents, which was a real blessing in so many ways, but also brought with it stresses of not living in your own house or having as much space. I was running around after a four-year-old and a very stubborn two-year-old whose potty training was quite possibly the most stressful experience of my life. Throw on top of that, trying to finish off a degree in the midst of a global pandemic, writing essays without access to lots of the materials that I needed, not seeing wider family, not seeing church family, trying to keep tabs on the empty house and keep on top of things in it, trying to work with the kids and actually spend time with my wife, whom I was aware was bored out of her skull most of the time because she couldn't do anything, running her back and forward to various hospital appointments, some of them scheduled, some related to her complications struggling to find time to pray and read the Bible, feeling guilty about not really being able to juggle all of the things that I've mentioned. And even when I finished in college, full-time ministry, well, that that wasn't going to happen. That had been the carrot at the end for a long time, and it just wasn't going to happen. Now, as I say, I'm not looking for sympathy. Those are just my circumstances. I don't presume that I was worse off than anyone else in this room. 
I know that many of those problems were first world problems because we had great family support. But I was struggling. Mentally, at times, I, I didn't know if I could do it. And there was a song that kept going around and around in my head. Every time I went over to our house, every time before I started working or anything over there, I went to the piano and I sang it with apologies to our neighbor, Robin. We live in a semi-detached house. It's a song you know, it's a song you know. Be still for the presence of the Lord, the Holy One is here. And the third verse in particular, I just couldn't get out of my head. Be still for the power of the Lord is moving in this place. He comes to cleanse and heal to minister his grace. No work too hard for him in faith receive from him. Be still for the power of the Lord is moving in those place. And those words in particular, no work too hard for him in faith receive from him. I'm not saying I'm an example to follow in situations like the one I've just described. I probably should have known more words to say to God. I, I probably should have handled it all in a better or a more godly way. But just singing those lines, teaching myself over and over again and reminding myself that my God is one who finds nothing too difficult, that got me through the first lockdown. I don't think that's an exaggeration. Habakkuk 3 teaches us that the power of song in desperate circumstances cannot be understated. Secondly then, it is actually in praising God that we find hope. It might not be the first thing that we want to do in the midst of sadness or grief or anxiety, but this is what Habakkuk does. Remember the chorus, Lord, I've heard of your fame, I stand in awe of your deeds. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. In a time of extreme difficulty, Lord, I'm in awe of the things that you have done. Won't you do them again in our day? This is what is known in Scripture as a song of deliverance. And here's what one scholar has to say about it. Songs of deliverance in Scripture have the double function of giving praise to God for what he has done and creating hope for his deliverance in the future. Habakkuk's faith is made strong by remembering past events. Isn't that what he's doing? He's remembering the exodus. He's remembering going into the promised land, remembering God fighting for his people and the defeat of enemies. He's drumming up hope within himself and within those singing with him. Even though times are bad, as we praise him, as we remember what he has done for us, it builds our hope. And it's not easy. It's not easy sometimes to drag yourself out to church when things are falling apart, to sing praises to God that you probably don't feel like singing. But it's good for you. The Bible says it's good for you, and it's good for your faith. It gives you hope. Or it might be, I guess, in your own prayer time, it's probably true that most of our prayers are asking God for something, isn't it? We might thank God for things. We might, if we're really on the ball, we might confess sin. But how much do we just stop and just praise him, to ponder who he actually is and just praise him for it. If you're sinking just now, it might seem like an unlikely solution to praise more, but praise actually leads us to find hope. And thirdly, Habakkuk's prayer shows us that only after he's poured out everything to God, only then can he find meaning and joy in difficult circumstances. It sounds overly obvious to say it, but the end of Habakkuk chapter three, those words of faith, 
Well, they're not found at the beginning of Habakkuk chapter one. It doesn't come first. It only comes after he's poured out everything to God. After he's made his dissatisfaction with oppression and violence heard, after he's done that, after he has objected to God's plan to exile his own people, only after he's expressed that he doesn't understand it all, only after he's written three verses of a passionate song pleading with God to act and move and do the things in the past, only after all that does he come to the place of acceptance of what God is doing. It's still not easy. It petrifies him. But after he pours everything out, he accepts fearfully what God is going to do. I heard and my heart pounded, he says. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Now I have poured it all out. I'm not better, I'm still trembling, but I accept it. I'll wait patiently for it. I know the right outcome will come. And now having accepted it, I can find joy again. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the sheepfold and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Lord, even though things are a disaster, I've poured out my heart to you, and now I accept your sovereignty. I accept your plan, and I can even find joy in that. In fact, Habakkuk goes on to speak of great confidence. The Lord God is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. A picture of a deer, a deer is a very sure-footed animal. It can run through the forest. It won't crash into trees or slip or anything like that. Lord, even though things are awful, I'm unsure-footing because my strength is in you. If we don't pour it out to God, then we won't have the strength and joy and confidence that Habakkuk had. Let's not underestimate this. Habakkuk is talking about no figs, no grapes, no olive crops, no sheep or cattle. And that amounts to one thing, famine. And famine brings death, death and destruction and destitution. And if we're suffering, we won't know the peace and strength and joy of God if we keep it all in here. Because God sees it all anyway. He knows it all. And if we try to manage it ourselves, then we're denying him full access. We're not letting him be God. And if we deny him full access, then we won't find healing and joy, at least as much as we might do. And as I've looked at Habakkuk this week, I can't help but think that if we hold back on our feelings before God, we're not being honest with him. And that will only hamper our relationship with him. It's only through expressing his disappointment that Habakkuk finds joy and security. And that's the way for us too. Opening ourselves up to God, it mightn't be comfortable, it might be hard, but it allows us to experience more of Him. And it's in experiencing all of God that we truly experience what Habakkuk did, joy in the Lord despite circumstances. In 1851, a man by the name of Alan Gardner was shipwrecked. He was an Englishman, he was an aspiring missionary. He wanted to go to South America and become a missionary, but he never actually made it there because he was shipwrecked. 
His dreams were ended by the shipwrecking. And the small crew in the ship, they all survived, but they landed on a small, uninhabited island off the coast of South America. And they all starved to death. We don't know exactly what happened, but it seems like Alan Gardner was the last to die because he, he kept a journal of everything. And his journal was found beside his dead body sometime later. And in his very last journal entry, he was reflecting on Psalm 34, and it was presumably written shortly before he died. He wrote these words, I am overwhelmed by the goodness of God. <laughs> Dreams dashed, friends all dead, dying of starvation and dehydration. I am overwhelmed by the goodness of God. <laughs> I have to ask, what did he have that I don't? What did Habakkuk have that I don't? To be able to say that when there's no food, when things are devastating, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I'm overwhelmed by the goodness of God. Well, I think it's this. They had everything else in their lives taken away, and they were just left with God. You see, you and me, we like to live in Habakkuk chapter 1 and 2. I know it's not pleasant, but we judge how God is based on our circumstances. Things are going well. That means that God's being good to us, doesn't it? Things are going badly, so God is withholding His goodness from us. We kind of hope that there's some kind of purpose in that. We look at our circumstances, and when things are good, we give credit to God. But God is always good. We don't always have the right perspective because nothing changes God's goodness Nothing can keep God's goodness from us if we give ourselves to Him, even if our circumstances suggest otherwise. Habakkuk learned this when everything was taken from him except God, and sometimes we learn it that way too. But whether you're there just now in your life or not, we can all see and know the fullness of God and be confident in His goodness when hard times come because of Jesus Christ, because He did the opposite for us, He's the Son of God, and yet He left that. He left that goodness in heaven behind, and He treated it all for the sin in the world and all the effects of sin, death, pain, suffering, tears, famine, hardship, war, anxiety, sickness, evil. He took all that on Himself on the cross so that we could know freedom from those things and know God in all His fullness, even though we may still experience those things in this life. And so we say, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How is it for you then when the dust settles? Those circumstances you don't understand, will you go it alone? Or will you sing to God? Will you pour out everything to Him, praise Him, and find Him? Because nothing in creation will be able to separate us from His love as we find it and experience it and know it in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray together.
Our Lord, we confess that at times we do not know what to say in prayer. When times are hard, when things aren't going well for us, when we don't understand what you're doing in our lives. But our Father, may we hear the invitation you give us in your word through Habakkuk to come before you as we are, to be honest with you, to plead with you, to bring you all our doubts and fears. And as we do that, may we find in you all that we need. May we find joy and may we find strengthening of our faith so that we would know and love you and praise you all the more. In Jesus' name, amen.